You know, it only takes about a minute to read through those eight short statements of Jesus that we call the Beatitudes. And yet, each one of those statements is so loaded with truth. You could spend an hour talking about each of them. So loaded with amazing truth. And to prevent that from uh, becoming an eight-part, hour-long series, we're going to jump right into it very quickly. But just as a quick recap, this sermon is about the kingdom of God. And not just how to get into the kingdom, but how the citizens of this kingdom should live. There's a big focus in Jesus' teaching on the inward heart rather than just the outward appearances. That's really what matters most to our God. Um, We're going to get into that as we open up our text. But the Pharisees were the antithesis of this sermon. And no doubt were in the back of the minds of the disciples and Jesus himself as he's saying it. As the Pharisees did everything right on the outside. But yet inwardly they were lost. They professed to be loving but inwardly they they had hatred in their hearts. Jesus would later liken them to whitewashed tombs. Where on the outside everything looked beautiful. But on the inside, they were full of dead man's bones. Outwardly full of life and beauty. Inwardly full of death. Far from the kingdom of God. As Jesus was inviting his disciples to draw near. As he recited these beatitudes. So, enough introductions. Let's jump into this before this becomes a three-part series. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek where we left off. For they shall inherit the earth. Now, what does it mean to say, blessed are the meek? It's a word that we don't hear that often anymore. But to be meek does not mean to be weak, but to be self-controlled, to have power, but to have it under control. It's not those who have power, but control over their power that God has given them under control, who will inherit the earth. You know, I heard this interesting story of this guy who walked into a bar and just started, uh, started making trouble with everyone who he could find, really getting in people's faces, saying all kinds of nasty things. And he gets right in the face of somebody and starts doing the same thing. And this person just smiles, puts down his drink, and just walks away. And that troublemaker's friend turns to him and says, don't you know who that was? That was this famous mixed martial artist. You would have been annihilated. Isn't that funny? (laughs) All the power in the world to clobber the guy. But he had the meekness, the self-control to just smile and walk away. That's the kind of meekness that we're talking about. Power under control. Jesus doesn't need his disciples flaunting our power, flaunting our strength before others. But nor does he desire us to be weak either. He desires us to be Strong in the Lord. 1 John 4 4 says, He who is in you, that is the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world. That's the meekness God is calling us to have. That is the kind of power that will inherit the earth. Not this unrestrained, throwing my power around all over the place like that guy in the bar, but someone who has self control over the power God has given them, trusting in the strength God has given them for the hour. Yes, perhaps the bombastic and aggressive will have their hour and they will have their day. But the meek will receive the inheritance of our Holy Father. 
Moving forward into verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Again, that is the complete opposite of the Pharisees who had no hunger for righteousness. They thought they were already full. They thought they were already satisfied. And you guys, you know, it's, it's hard to enjoy a really good meal at a restaurant when you've already filled up with bread. You think you're already full, you're already satisfied, you're not able to enjoy the meal that you came in for. The main thing can't be enjoyed. And you know, so too were these Pharisees. They were so satisfied in their own ways, their own rituals, their own legalistic understanding of spirituality that they thought they had no room to grow. They had already arrived spiritually, or so they thought. Why would they, you know, mourn over sin as we talked about in our last sermon? I mean, because they already have a satisfying spiritual experience, already filled up with all of these rituals and all these seemingly outwardly good things to do. That they had no room for a new experience with God. And this troubling trend continues today. Frankly, just like the Pharisees, preachers today make this same mistake. Instead of feeding their sheep with the meat of the word of God, they fill them up with spiritual bread of empty religion. Instead of teaching about sin and righteousness and what true holiness looks like, they, their focus is primary on politics, positive psychology and activism and all of those things. Now, granted, those things have their place. There's a place for all of those things. But their message becomes about actions when Jesus addresses the heart. Like, those things have their place, but it's like bread at a nice restaurant. It can distract you from the main thing, making you feel full when there is so much more to come and to be experienced in having a relationship with God. You know, I'm just going to say, this world, this world thinks that what they need is their favorite politician. This world needs Jesus, not your favorite politician. So I'd rather be like the psalmist who wrote, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants after you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. May that be the cry of each of our hearts this morning, that we wouldn't hunger and thirst for the things of this world or things that ultimately don't have the power to change this world, but we would hunger and thirst for the living God, the source of our, of our true hunger for righteousness in this life. Continuing in this theme, verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, this is an interesting one. What is mercy? Mercy is not giving somebody something they deserve. The, the, the opposite of it gives us a more clear understanding because the opposite of mercy is justice. Justice is giving somebody what they deserve, uh, usually in a negative connotation. You know, you do a crime to give you justice would be giving you the punishment you have earned for your crime. That would be justice. To give mercy in that same circumstance would be to 
Somebody commits a crime, but we forgive them. We let them go. Now, it's so fascinating that Jesus says this because God is both just and merciful, but yet those are seeming contradictions. And yet Micah 6.8 tells us that this is what God desires, that we would love justice, to, 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 to seek justice, love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And yet that scene, it, there's a tension there between justice and mercy. But there's one place where these two touch perfectly, and that's the cross of Jesus Christ. Because there, justice was delivered. There, there had to be a penalty for our sins, our sins against the holy and perfect God. But we couldn't pay the penalty. We couldn't handle that kind of justice. We couldn't pay for our own sins. No punishment would be enough to pay for our infinite sin against an infinite God. And yet Jesus took the penalty for us on that cross, satisfying God's justice so that we could receive mercy. How beautiful is that? The one place where justice and mercy are in harmony is the cross of Jesus Christ. This is a character trait close to God's heart for that reason. And blessed are those who understand this and are likewise merciful to one another, for they shall be shown mercy. You know, Jesus warned us that if we don't forgive others their sins, likewise showing mercy to one another, then neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your sins, showing mercy to you. That's a sobering thought. Is any thought, is any sin that we have against each other greater than the sin that we have against our God? Something to think about. We ought to be merciful to one another. Moving forward, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. <laughs> and you know, our actions might appear pure, but as you might have picked up in the theme of this sermon as Jesus is going, uh, it's not about your actions. It's about your heart. And you know, I've learned it's very hard to judge the heart of another person. It's hard enough to judge our own hearts, frankly. Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And you know, you have met people, and so have I, that use their outward religious experience to only further their own selfish ambitions. It's a sad thing to see, but we've all seen it. People who get a... They, I mean, these people talk the talk, they seemingly walk the walk, and it might take years to discover what this person's true heart is for, what their true priorities are. People who become leaders, even elders within the church, that only use that to grow their business on the side, gaining people's trust. Or even worse, people who become pastors who then exploit their, their position to make themselves wealthy or live de duplicitous lives on the side and so dishonor the name of our Lord. So don't measure others or even yourself by merely your actions. Though, but the Lord sees the heart. He sees the things that we don't even see in ourselves. We ought to seek him. And if your heart isn't pure, you will not see God. The antithesis of this is also true. That you will not experience God in this lifetime or the next without that pure heart. But that's the beauty of it. Later on, we'll see this. But 
We don't have pure hearts. But God gives us a pure heart. What is it? Ezekiel 36 that says, I will give you a new heart and give you a heart of flesh. Isaiah 1 that says, you know, though your sins are like scarlet, you will be made white as snow. All things that we don't have to do within ourselves. Again, that is that gift that God gives us. Moving forward, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You know, I particularly love this one because it's not about, it's not talking about people who have peace, but people who bring peace. You know, there's a huge difference between relaxing under a tree on a warm summer evening, kind of like what we had on Wednesday night. Man, that was a beautiful day. And somebody who can bring peace to a husband and wife that are fighting with each other and on the brink of divorce. That's peacemaking. And those who do such things, it will be obvious that God is working in their life, taking this work of a peacemaker or a reconciler, and so shall be called sons of God, children of the living God. Being a peacemaker or a reconciler is close to God's heart. When we step into that role, either in ministry or whether it be in our own household, taking the role of a peacekeeper there, we're taking on a trait that is close to the heart of God. As Jesus being the ultimate peacekeeper, having reconciled sinners, living in rebellion against him to a holy and perfect God. You know, this is how amazing God is. I was just reading this this morning. You know, in my own personal devotions, uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 says, In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, and above reproach before him. How beautiful is that? I love that. And you know, I always encourage people in like a counseling situation uh, that the cross of Christ proves to us that no human relationship can be so damaged that it cannot be repaired by God. No, the cross proves that to us. If my relationship to God can be reconciled, how much more so us to each other? The cross gives us that hope. And yes, it takes sacrifice. And yes, there are some wounds that only God to heal, but can, can heal. But, there, but what our takeaway is, is that there is hope for every relationship as we look to God. And lastly... We have blessed are the persecuted. And I'm just going to read this one again in its fullness. But blessed are, the, are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. <laughs> Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. By the way, the qualifier here is you are persecuted falsely and on my account. You don't get a pass on this if you're being persecuted because you're acting like a jerk. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. But what he is talking about, I'm going to be honest, as Americans living in 
2021, we have no idea what this is talking about. We have no firsthand knowledge of what real persecution looks like. Now, we really don't suffer persecution in the strictest sense of that word here in America. At worst, people don't like us. Whoop-de-doo. Most of us learn how to deal with that by the end of middle school. I know I did. But I, now I do believe that there are people actively trying to bring persecution into this country. There are people who actively don't like us and want to allow those kinds of things to happen. I do believe that there are people actively trying to bring Trojan horses into our country that will allow that to come. We should not be naive about that. But it's not here yet. Compared to what our brothers and sisters in the faith are going through in the 52 plus countries where this very service is illegal? Where just by you guys being in the pews in one of those countries could be jailed or worse. Now that's real persecution. And that is a real and terrible thing. I just heard the wonderful testimony just, just last night of one missionary who's lost as part, of his mission, as part of his mission organization, has lost 69 chaplains who have been put to death on the battlefield or, or put to death by the government in, in some of these countries. Persecution is a real and terrible thing. And our hearts have to go out to them. They ought to be in our prayers and they deserve our support. But Jesus promises that their reward for enduring will be great. And that gives me such peace and joy as I think about what's happening to them and all over the world. I cannot wait to see their massive mansions that will be so close to the throne of God in heaven. They'll be so large, I'll be able to see them from my shack right by the main entrance. But he honors these guys, giving them the same honor that the prophets had, saying, so too they persecuted the prophets who went before you. Jesus equivalating these men who would give their lives for the gospel as the same honor that the prophets who had the honor of giving the very word of God to their people. Thanks be to God. So as we kind of tie a lot of these themes together, A.W. Tozer said to get a fairly accurate understanding of the human race, take the Beatitudes, turn them wrong side out, and there is your human race. Ouch. That's, that's convicting. But he's not wrong, is he? You know, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, but our culture says, no, blessed are the achievers. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Our nation said, blessed are the self-fulfilled. Blessed are the meek. No, blessed are the powerful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. No, blessed are the unrestrained. In fact, righteousness is suppressing your baser instincts. It is unhealthy for you, I hear psychologists uh, regularly say. So you can have your wrong side out beatitudes. I know in whom I've believed. The merciful, no, the, the manipulators, the pure, the unhibited, the peacemakers, the war makers, the persecuted to the pragmatic in their faith. 
And you know, as, as I say those things, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you resonate more with the, the wrong side out beatitudes than the blessedness that we have been discussing for those who know Jesus. And I want to let anybody know who might resonate with that. None of us started out meek. None of us start out that way. We're all on a journey of possessing more of these traits in our lives. My job up here isn't to judge anybody. I certainly want to be judged for my own sins and shortfallings. But the process of beginning more like Christ, possessing more of these traits, begins at this table. It begins at everything this table as we celebrate communion together. That same, the same heart that leads us into communion, the, the simple truth of recognizing that we are all sinners that have fallen short of the glory of God. Mourning over the sin that cost us our relationship with God, the sin that separated us from him and our complete inability to save ourselves, but that we needed a savior and that we would turn our eyes upon that savior whose body was broken for us, whose blood was shed for us and through believing in his name can receive forgiveness and pardon and grace for every wrong we've ever done in our lives, though they might be many. This is where we receive mercy. This, it's because of this that we are called sons and daughters of God. It is through this table that we've received adoption into his kingdom and offers us that new heart that we were speaking about. So if you are poor in spirit this morning, this table is for you. If you know that you don't have your life together and we need a savior to save us from ourselves and our sins, this table is for you. You are welcome to have a metaphorical seat at this table and all that it represents. The forgiveness that Jesus offers to all who believe in his broken body and bloodshed for us. Thanks be to God. Amen.